I absolutely know that formula f- is fine. I think it's more of an emotional thing. It is. I'm losing know. that time. Mm. Um, mm. I'm even going to get emotional now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a really special time that you have with your baby. That was Cass, our regular mum on the podcast, whose little Max is now 12 weeks old. We talk about what seems to be the ever-changing cycle of sleep habits, and we talk about the difference between sleep training and sleep coaching, and what could possibly be interrupting Max's sleep. Cass also shares that she may need to make changes in her breastfeeding journey, and we exchange stories about the emotional and physical aspects of breastfeeding. For all of this and more, stay with us for another episode of Sense by Meg Fora with Cass and Max. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Makia every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora. I'm an occupational therapist and infant specialist, and I've worked with parents for more than 20 years in my private practice. And my focus is looking at little ones' sensory integration and how they take in sensory information from their world and how we can use that to change the way they sleep and their feeding patterns and their development and so on. And each week on my podcast, I am joined by a mum who really shares her journey with her little one. And over the last couple of months, we've been chatting to Cassidy. She's mum to little Max. Cass, how old is Max now? He's 12 weeks. Oh my goodness. Welcome Cass and Max, 12 week old Max. Can you believe he has reached the mark, the 12 week mark? I mean, I don't know where to start with this week (laughs) (laughs) because it has, it weirdly, I've kind of been waiting for a 12, the 12 week mark, as you said, and a friend of mine as well, she had a baby and she said, oh, when they turn 12 weeks, it's just wonderful. And so, because I've been thinking, because Max has been so wonderful the whole way through, I've been thinking, oh my gosh, what have I got for 12, week 12? I mean, <laughs> this is so exciting. Uh, I mean, it's just been an absolute roller coaster of a week. I'm not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> I think we can say we started really in the low <laughs> okay. of the roller coaster. I don't know if he had a sleep regression or what happened, but we had one of the worst nights we've ever had with him. And we had a couple either side of that that were not very good at all. Oh, wow. We are not back to where we were um, at all. We would, as we, as you know, we were doing seven to eight hours and life, guys, guys were boating. I was really <laughs> feeling great. But yeah, at the beginning of the week, he did one night where honestly at 20 past three, Alex had to, we had to do it as a team because it was just so tough. He was screaming. He's never, ever cried at night. He's he's mumbled and groaned and sort of said, okay, I'm awake. Can you come and feed me? But he was screaming. He wouldn't go down. I couldn't settle him. He was wanting to feed every hour almost. And I mean, proper feeds. Wow. Um, 
not sort of just wanting a bit of, because I was trying to avoid giving him the boob, but he, because I thought you can't be hungry. You, you, mm. you, you were going seven or eight hours. There's no way, but he was doing really good feed. So I thought maybe it's a growth spurt. Um, but then I put him down at about quarter past three and about 20 past three in the morning, he started fussing again to Alex said, okay, I'm going to go. He was screaming with Alex. Eventually I tried to co-sleep with him. I said to Alex, you're going to have to go. I went into a different bed and tried, had, I just thought maybe I'll stay with him. That didn't really work. Anyway, eventually he did fall asleep again, but it was just every hour. That was the worst night. As I say, we had a couple of nights either side of that. So that was, and then and that was a really tough time because in my mind I thought 12 weeks is supposed to be fabulous yeah <laughs> what is going on what happened but one of the big challenges I've had this week and it's actually been quite a tough week mentally for me is I think I'm going to have to stop breastfeeding in the day because he's I think our theory he's a settled baby might be wrong okay. <laughs> I think he is a real social butterfly yeah. and he just is not interested in feeding that is way too boring he wants to be looking around he's pulling off he's smiling he's grinning he's not if I try and put him back on the boob he's pulling away and trying to look around it's really tough in the night when it's dark not a problem at all and I then started giving him the bottle where he could obviously look around he's not just staring at my chest and that was much better and I'm managing to get food down him still fighting a bit but as though he's you know bored and doesn't want to be having to lie still but at least I'm managing to get some down him yeah. So, I mean, that often happens. And, and we spoke about last week how we often see our settled babies go towards social butterflies, some of them. And it's definitely a component of them who start to find the world very interesting. And then they just don't stay settled because they really are looking around and very interested. And I think that is exactly what's happening. Mm. You know, and I think also breast milk is a little bit boring in that it's, you know, kind of always the same, same temperature. I mean, milk in general is. And so if he is a social butterfly, when he does go onto solids, which is not this month, it'll only be in about a month's time or more, then, you, you know, he will actually feed a lot better. Did you try and feed him after sleeps as opposed yeah. to you did? And did that help? No. <laughs> not at all. I've I've tried probably nearly everything. I've tried doing it in the same room that I feed him at night in his mm-hmm. room. I've tried doing it very, very quiet. I tried once I noticed he was feeding a little bit better when the radio was on in the background. So I thought maybe that's giving him something to listen to. So he's not so keen on looking around, but then the next time that didn't work. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. It, and it's, it's been quite, tough. he seems to feed better with other people than he does with me as well. So in other words, when he's in Alex's arms with the yeah. bottle. Yeah. yeah. Or even, I mean, my mum is currently feeding him right now, but she's done a feed and he seems a bit better. Now, I don't know if that's because I'm feeling tense about feeds now mm. at the moment in the daytime and maybe he's picking up on that, but all he wants to do is grin and talk to me. And it is really cute, <laughs> but at the same time, I just, in my mind, I'm thinking, if you don't feed enough in the day, I've got a rubbish night ahead of me. So Cass, if you if you just went with his flow, which is let him talk, let him come off, let him snack, let him let him kind of feed in courses so that he's not mm-hmm. maybe getting it all in in 10 minutes, but maybe it's taking 40 minutes. Would he would he feed well uh, adequately over that time? No, so for the first 5, so when he first goes on, he'll feed mm-hmm. fine. And yesterday I was pumped because what I've started doing is actually pumping before the feed now. 
And then I thought if I have a bottle to one side, I might be more relaxed. So I tried that and I was really interested that my letdown seemed really slow when I was pumping on one boob. So I thought maybe that's it. Maybe he's getting really frustrated because it's taking a long time. But then on the other boob, it's actually really fast. So I I don't know what's going on there. And he will sometimes feed for about three, three, four minutes. Absolutely Mm -hmm. fine. Then he starts pulling off and grinning and I go with it and I'm chatting to him. I've tried, I've tried not looking at him at all. I've tried grinning back at him and chatting and just letting him go on and off as he wants. But after about seven or eight minutes, he then gets to a point where he's not interested in going back on. And if I even try and tilt him towards the boob, he will go absolutely rigid and get really cross and go red and fight and not want to go back on the boob at all. Well, there is another reason that could be at the bottom of this, and I think it's worth trying, and that is that your flow could be really, really fast. And that sometimes happens that a baby will get everything they need in three minutes. And that's particularly with people who have got really good flow. So, and, and he is gaining weight really, really well. And so he's doing nicely. He's, he's hit a stone. <laughs> okay, right. So he's gaining weight really well. You know what I think you need to experiment with tomorrow? I think you need to entirely follow his lead. So pull your time between feeds back to three hours. I know mm-hmm. that that's a little bit counterintuitive because we have been you had been moving them towards three and a half, but allow in your mind that it's going to be three hours and let him feed for just as long as he wants to feed. So if, the, if a feed is over in five, seven minutes, just bin the feed. Don't try and force feed him any mm. further and see what happens when he gets to the next feed. And this is something that we actually do when toddlers, uh, in, with toddlers in particular, because toddlers tend to feed at certain, eat at certain meals, not feed because it's not milk, but eat at certain meals a lot and other meals, absolutely nothing. And it freaks mums out because then they think, oh my goodness, he's eaten absolutely nothing at lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I do? And, and that it leads to this whole force feeding thing, which is a, which is a fraught situation. It's a horrible situation when you feel like you're trying to force your child to eat, which is not dissimilar to what's happening to you. Mm. And one of the things that we say to moms of toddlers is actually take your foot off the off the accelerator, go with the flow, and if uh, let them eat exactly the amount that they want, then leave a space that's slightly smaller than maybe you would have, just so that you know that you mm. know, there's another f- feeding outing or, or, or food outing, and then let them eat at that meal. And very often what that does is it takes all the anxiety off because you know that another one's coming. He's not going to, he's certainly not going to lose weight. He's also probably at this stage still an intuitive feeder, which means that if he did take in a little bit too little at that feed, when he gets to the next one, he'll feed better. And let's just experiment with that because you might actually find that just going exactly with what he wants. So, so, I mean, what I would suggest is let him feed for as long as he wants come off and chat and play, change a nappy, pop him onto the other breast so that he can have another opportunity in that feed. So two courses and then stop the feed altogether when he's done and wait for three hours and see what happens because he might feed well at the next feed. Okay. Because I did wonder that, but then I thought, would my flow be different at night? Because at night he's on for quite a while feeding and he goes onto both boobs and he's super chilled and it's a great pleasure. But in the day, he will do like three minutes on one boob and then I'm lucky if I get anything more on either boob. And I do exactly that. I coo and I change his nappy and then I try him on the other boob and he's not interested. How many feeds? I mean, he can scream. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's found his voice. Oh my. So how many feeds are you doing at night at the moment? Uh, so, so for example, okay, so this is another thing, <laughs> as I said, it has been a week. Yes. This is another thing that he started doing. So now he's gone back to doing, last night he did five and a half hours uh, for, in his first stint. Mm-hmm. And then I got up, I fed him. 
I put him down and he's done this two nights in a row now. An hour later, he woke up and I go to wind him. I go, let me see if that's the problem. I go to soothe him. He's not interested. He's nuzzling himself down to my boob. And so I put him on the boob and he'll do a decent feed. And then he went till morning then. So, but that was almost like he was finishing off the the 2 a.m. feed. Mm. So he, he went down at like seven and he then woke up at two, had the feed and then woke again at 3.30 and then went through till the morning. Yeah, he took a little bit longer to go down last night. So he actually didn't go to sleep till half eight because mm. he was just about to fall asleep at his five o'clock sleep or it's 4.30 sleep. And then he did a big his first poo of the day and it was quite a big one and it woke him up and he wouldn't go back to sleep. Oh dear. <laughs> so he was overtired going to bed yeah. last night. So he didn't go down till 8.30. Yeah, and then he woke at 2.00. And then he woke at 3.20 by the time I'd put him down. But he hadn't, I changed his nappy between boobs. We've discussed, um, I yes. think before, because I need to wake him more. But he's, the last two nights, he hasn't really woken up. He's mm. As soon as I've stopped changing his nappy, he's kind of fallen asleep very quickly again and not fed properly in the second boob. So he's waking, waking an hour later. An hour later, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I mean, it is that age where you just do need to go with the flow a little bit. Yeah. I think that those night feeds sound right to me. I was concerned that maybe he was having too much at night because that can be another reason why they don't feed well in the day. If you were kind of having four feeds through the night, then he's taking in all his calories. So yeah. only those nights where things seem to go wrong did, did he have a lot of feeds lot in the night, yeah. but he seems to be going back yeah. the right way now. Yeah. No, I think, and I think he will go back in the right direction. I mean, I think keep up with those two night feeds at, at this age, two night feeds is exactly what you are expecting. So that's spot on. Mm. And then in the day, just shorten your t- space between, and then just consider a feed over and let's see whether or not that makes any difference. Okay. I yeah. mean, Christmas day, I probably will be bottle feeding anyway. Yeah. So. And you know, it's that time of year where things are really, you know, you just have to be flexible. And, you know, I mm. think, I mean, one of the things that parents have to realize is that there is no such thing as a perfect routine. There's, it just mm. doesn't happen with babies, you know, and particularly over this time of year, and flexibility is very important, but nothing wrong with bottle feeding. And, you know, I think, I mean, you bring up something here where, you know, mums start to get really anxious about the prospect of not feeding breast milk and is is formula milk all evil and you know I think it's very important to keep perspective because formula milk you know while and I think it doesn't help when people say this but while breastfeeding breast milk is the gold standard formula is absolutely fine I mean it's you know modern day formulas when they're mixed correctly correctly in the right proportions with good water is an absolutely fabulous solution as well. So, you know, if it is that you are starting to do a couple of formula feeds and that you need to start doing more bottle feeds rather than breast feeds, that's absolutely fine. I do think that over time, when you start to do that, your breast milk supply responds by producing a little bit less and he gets really used to that bottle where, you know, the flow is different and it is just easier. And so, you know, babies will then start to move themselves towards more bottles. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the principle can be, and I can remember doing this because my, my three kids fed very differently. And my firstborn, who is a real social butterfly, was exactly like him. I mean, he really, I mean, him and Max could be the same in that respect. <laughs> and he, he's a real social butterfly now. And with him, I did start to move him towards formula. But what I did was I always started with breastfeeding and then I would use my formula as the top up at the end of the feed. I don't think that you should go with the expressing the first part of the feed 
into you know expressing it and then offering him. And the simple reason for that is that the one part of the feed that he's likely to go for if he's mm. a social butterfly is that fast flow. Um, so my suggestion is given the fast flow, given what you can from your breast, either you know express off the extra and give it to him as the top up for the next feed or potentially use formula feed. And let's rather go that way around. Yeah, that's actually, that kind of happened by accident. He didn't, he did one really good feed yesterday and I'd prepared a a express bottle. Mm. So I had one left over. So I started doing that yesterday where I was starting with the breast and then going on. And and actually it does remove the anxiety side of it because you think, well, if he doesn't eat, I've got something just here to top him up. But I think I absolutely know that formula is fine. I think it's more of an emotional thing. It is. I'm losing that time. Um, Mm. I'm even going to get emotional now. But (laughs) it's a really special time that you have with your baby. Yeah. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you, The Honest Hour. Christina Masaryk is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. As mums, as we get closer towards that type, that last feed, it gets harder and harder. And the fact that you do feel emotional about it, Cass says to me that actually you should keep going as you are, which is offer him the breast every time, see how much he'll take of it. Then you can offer him a top up and then see how he is for the next feed. But you know, breastfeeding is, it's just absolutely fraught with anxiety. It's also one of those horrible, controversial conversations that mums, um, you know, you, you always talk about this mum, sh- or you hear about mum. Sh- shaming where, you know, a mom criticizes another yeah. mom and breast and bottle are one of those arenas. And I have a real, real problem with that. I, I think that it's very important that a happy baby and a happy mum, that is more important than having a baby that's necessarily breastfed or formula fed. I managed to breastfeed my kids, all three of them until six months only. And in fact, I remember Emily, my third child, my husband had had a business trip that he really wanted me to go on. And, you know, I think he was quite, you know, had had kind of many years of me, of sharing me with children. And this business trip came up to Namibia and he said, you absolutely have to come with me. Emily was six months old, so she had been starting to have less and less breast milk and more and more formula bottles. And so by the time we got to me leaving, I I left her with my mum-in-law and I was only for two nights and I said, she's on bottles pretty much and that was that. And when I got back from that trip, I felt utterly bereft and I just thought this is my I knew I knew she was my last baby and all I wanted to do was to go back and breastfeed her and so I then tried to relactate which um you know kind of she I mean she latched for a couple of mornings early morning and that was it but it was a trauma and she was my third child and it happened with all of them so breastfeeding is it's it really is very emotionally laden for us it is I know. And it is funny that I am getting sad because mm. right now breastfeeding is not pleasurable. The pain, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I, every time I'm doing it, I think you, <laughs> for some reason, I still am sad that it 
So no, I definitely will try it. Uh, I mean, the other thing that's quite interesting, and I, I mean, this hasn't come up because you had a very easy journey with breastfeeding until now. Mm. I had a particularly hard journey with all three of my kids. So my first one, I had the most horrifically torn nipples. I mean, mm. I was in every single day, even after I'd been discharged from hospital, I'd go back every day to go and have layers on my on my nipples because they were so badly trashed by him. I mean, bleeding and it was really awful. But that wasn't actually the hard part. There was another part, which and I'll get to the hard part third, but the second part that was hard was that I was very poorly advised with my first baby that I must put him onto a four-hourly breastfeeding routine from the day that he was born. And anybody who knows anything, and at the time I should have known, but I didn't, I, you know, I was a therapist, but I d- hadn't worked as much with babies, will know that if you put a newborn baby onto a four-hour breastfeeding routine, your breast milk will never come in. And so where everybody else spoke about engorged breasts and sore breasts on day three, like that did not happen for me. James's poos did change and I knew I had mature milk, but it really wasn't, I never, ever had fast flow. So, um, I, you know, that that was the second challenge for me was trying to Establish breastfeeding in the context of a routine. But the third thing, which a lot of people don't talk about, and I, I, f- I hear moms on social media talking about it and thinking that there's something wrong with them or getting bad advice on it, is that for some moms, breastfeeding is insanely painful. And it's not just that the baby has a bad latch. It can be that. And certainly with James, it might have been that for me because he trashed my nipples and that is a sign of, <laughs> of a bad latch. But with my girls, they had really good latches. And I had a lactation consultant for both of my girls because I was so determined to get this right with them because it was such a hard, hard slog with him. But what was really interesting is that I had a condition and many women who are who are listening will have this, where when you breastfeed, you feel like a red hot poker is being passed straight through your nipple and out your back. And it is the most excruciatingly painful thing. It had nothing to do with his latch. It was just that as letdown happened, my sensory receptors, uh, instead of this wonderful tingle, people people talk about this amazing tingle as, as letdown happens. Okay, that did not happen for me. I had a red hot poker straight through my chest. And I can remember sitting and counting down. I knew it would take 20 seconds. I'd count it down and then I could breathe and then I would continue the feed. And that lasted for about four months. So for me, there was nothing romantic about breastfeeding. I battled in terms of trying to slot in a routine. I battled in terms of not getting my milk supply up. I battled then because James was a social butterfly, which you're experiencing with Max. And I had this this insane pain in my breasts whenever. And for all three children, even with good latches, even once milk supply is established, this insane pain. And So, you know, breastfeeding, it is put forward as being very important for babies because of what breast milk contains. And interestingly, a couple of years ago, Medina, which is the breast milk company, actually took me to Paris for their conference. And it was the most extraordinary conference on everything that's actually in breast milk and and what's amazing about breast milk. It was really, really astounding. And breast milk contains things that people don't even really know about. It's got certain sugars that are actually the food for probiotics. So it's prebiotics. And it's incredibly important for gut health. So there are so many reasons why I know that breast milk is really, really important. But having said that, I've always approached things with the context of sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it is horrific for some moms, like it was for me, it was really, really hard. And then for all moms, regardless of whether you, how long you decide to breastfeed for, breastfeeding ends. And mm. if that's at two weeks or six months, like it was for me, or two years or six years, I mean, you know, moms can breastfeed for as long as they want. Those last few breastfeeds are really painful. So that, that emotion that you're feeling, every single mother who's listening mm. to this has identified 
that, you know, that you kind of have this hanging of your head that at some point th- this, this is going to end and it really is hard. Yeah, definitely. And that, I mean, that's the other thing why I'm also quite keen from the breast milk. I would like to, even if the bottles don't, uh, sorry, even if I can't do it in the day, you know, the, the experiment I'll try tomorrow doesn't work. I would like to keep trying to express because the night feeds are still going really well. And, mm. you know, if I, that's a, a, something I might be able to keep going for a little bit longer, mm. possibly. So, so I'll try that, but that. And how is he for that? I mean, just out of interest, that evening feed just before he goes to sleep after bath? So that's always, well, not always, but that's daddy does that. Alex does that. Um, he has a so name. It might, it might be worth experimenting with that, that, that you transfer that one back into breastfeed and see if he does well there. Because then at least you've got a good evening feed, a good mid, one or two good midnight feeds, and maybe a good morning feed. And then you will end up actually fairly soon only having two other feeds during the day because you're not far away from having a 6, 10, 2, 6, 6 in the morning, 10 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, 6 in the evening feeding routine. And that happens once baby's on solid. So yeah. you know, it could just be a couple of months away where there'll only be two feeds that, that he'll be having formula for. Yeah. I mean, there is, you know, I do see the the pros in the sense that there is something a bit more freeing when other people can do the mm-hmm. feed and mm-hmm. there are there are pros to it. But regarding the, the night feed, I, I don't think Max feeds to sleep because he does fall asleep on the boob, but I'm then winding him mm. and I'm trying very hard. You know, I sometimes if me even putting him down, he's kind of fussing a bit. Mm-hmm. If he's feeding to sleep, does that mean he's zonko when I put him down? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. because I just couldn't quite work out how you avoid that if mm. if he is falling asleep on the boob. Sometimes he is kind of quite zonko, but I'm trying to get him more awake now because it must be quite a difficult thing to avoid feeding to sleep and if in the middle of the night and then having to almost wake mm. the baby. Mm. Mm. Um, but because we are trying to do some sleep training type things now, like last night I put him when he was still awake in his cot and just sat with him shushing and holding rather than actually holding him. Mm. I gave him, the, um, I think you refer to it as a doo-doo blanket that mm-hmm. I've been sleeping with. Mm-hmm. But Again, I have a question on that. How do you give that to them? Because in the middle of the night, he flung it up <laughs> and it was almost over his face. And so mm. I had to go and okay. remove it. How yep. do you give them the doo blanket so that they can smell you and it's comforting, but it's yeah. not going to smother them? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, it needs to be small. And I kind of look at about 10 to 15 centimeters big. Mm. So, you know, kind of as wide as your face and no wider than that can be square. And those are absolutely fine. Um, babies generally, I mean, some babies do like to sleep with them on their face. They like to have their eyes covered. That's not actually uncommon. But but they don't suffocate with it, you know. As long as they, as long as it's that they're on their back, and and the but the doo doo blankie is something that's important. So, I normally recommend from about nine weeks. So he's twelve weeks. So it's absolutely perfect because at this age he's now actually starting to be able to hold onto it. Mm-hmm. So you just tuck it between his arms whenever he goes to sleep in the in the evening, and that that is a great way to get him used to it. He's not going to use it for comfort yet. It's just getting him used to it, which is important. Okay. The other thing is, you know, you used a word that you said. We're starting with a little bit of sleep training, which what you're doing is really not sleep training. What you're doing is what I call sleep coaching, which is just assisting him, coming alongside him, sitting with him, giving him lots of support. Um, And that's important. You know, at this age, they do need support to fall asleep. 
But what your aim is, is for them to do the last little bit lying down in their cot so that that's what they know that they're going to do and do it without, for instance, a bottle or a teat in their mouth. And I'm talking about milk in their mouth. So what you're doing is absolutely perfect for this age. And it's, you know, there's a word we call scaffolding, which is, you know, kind of almost providing the infrastructure on which they can build you know, build within, you know, like pretty much like a scaffolding around a building. And that's what you're doing. You're scaffolding great sleep habits. And so that's perfect. Well, I, after we had those awful nights I, and I suddenly, I was Googling and I thought, oh my God, well, no, actually I told a friend, she sent me a blog that said you, mm. the sleep regression, that the sort of four month sleep regression mm. can actually happen from three months. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this a sleep regression? Are mm. we, have we, have we hit the dreaded? <laughs> and then it sort of went away again, but I thought actually, if I can start mm. now trying to implement yeah. some tools that might help, I don't know, but they yep. might help reduce the impact of that sleep regression. This episode is brought to us by Parent Sense, the all in one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. And look, I mean, the sleep progression, we, we call it the 17-week sleep progression, but it's not a line in the ground, just like everything else with parenting. Yeah. A lot of babies do do it around about four months or 17 weeks, but for some babies, they will do it at 12 weeks. So that's not uncommon. But I think what's important is that you're starting to put in place the, the right strategies for him to fall asleep on his own. Cass, one of the products that I used to use a lot with my little ones, which I don't know if you can get hold of one, is a little cot vibrator. You can buy it as a pad that goes underneath their mattress, or yeah. you can buy it as like an attachment that actually holds onto the edge of the cot. And when you turn it on, it just kind of vibrates the cot slightly. And that is a great technique to get them to fall asleep independently because it kind of feels like they're on you. And that's that's a really lovely product if you can find one of those. And um, and what I would do with Emily is, you know, and it, it happened at around about this age, in fact, where I would swaddle her a little bit and under her arms. I would then put her down, give her her duty blankie, pop on the cot vibrator and then sit with her. And slowly but surely, that's how she developed her sleep, good sleep habits. And she was an, an incredible sleeper. She she always she never gave me any sleep problems. So that's worth yeah. doing. I'm hoping that that was just a little blip, and we're going to head back towards the seven mm. to eight hours, ideally just around Christmas day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, and for everybody who's listening, they will know this: that just when you think you got it right, the baby mm. changes the rules. That's really what it is. And you know, I think for for our analytical brains, we think, ah, oh, what was it that was working then, or you know, what has changed, and Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes yeah. there's no change. The other thing is that I would say, and particularly for that horrific night, is that I always say to moms, just watch what they're wearing for that sleep because there can often be a little label on the back of a certain baby grow or in the side of a certain baby grow or a certain vest that actually is the reason why they wake up. And you start to track that actually it is that particular okay. baby grow. So do just think back when you do have a night like that of kind of waking, because that's, I would say that that was a very unusual night for Max. Yeah. 
No, it was. I mean, a, a night like that, there are only, in my mind, there are only three reasons why it happens. And the one is illness, so that they're brewing something and they get sick within a couple of days. The other one is that they are sensitive baby all the time. So those sensitive babies never sleep for longer than that. And the third one is that there are any other baby who's had a sensory disruption that night. So, you know, a piece of sand in the, you know, the princess in the pea, the, yeah. <laughs> something that's disturbed them while they're sleeping at night. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it was, as I say, it was just that one night. And the, the thing is, those one nights stick in your head much more than the, the good yes. nights do. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping that's it now for, yeah. for a while. Obviously, there'll be another one, but for a little while. But he's yeah. also got, I, I have noticed, it almost looks like possibly eczema or something, but very dry skin, kind of almost around the outside of his face and on his eyebrows. And it literally goes in like a circle over his eyebrows, over his nose, and just down the side of his face. Hmm, that's very interesting. So it's actually very interesting. So first of all, we'd always thought, because we know that babies that have eczema are poor sleepers. And I had always thought the reason that babies who have eczema are poor sleepers is because eczema makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable in their skin. And your skin is your, you know, your total body covering. But I was very recently actually with a medical doctor. She's a sleep specialist in Johannesburg, South Africa. And she was saying to me that there's actually a different mechanism to it that they're starting to work out. That somehow that, that reaction that, that they get with with the eczema, that allergic reaction, actually triggers bad sleep. So it's it's more that whatever it is that's causing the eczema, whatever causes the eczema actually causes the bad sleep as well, rather than the eczema causing the bad sleep. So I would say that you do need to watch that. Oilatum and any of our emollients that you can pop in the bath are really great. Um, they are oils that turn white. I was going to say, I heard leftover breast milk in the bath. Yep, you can try that. Breast milk is, you can definitely try that. I think that, I mean, try that as your first line of defense because it's entirely natural. And then yeah. you can try the oleatum as well. And then just a quick one, is he on formula? Uh, once a day. Okay, so he's so that, that once a day is not express breast milk. That's right, you, um, Alex gives him the formula bottle. Yeah. Yeah, I would just watch that as well. Um, you know, if you've changed formulas and you suddenly start to have a skin reaction, then you can also have a look at whether or not there's some sort of response to the protein in the milk. But usually it isn't that. It's usually actually environmental so maybe something that you're washing his clothes and something like that so yeah i wondered as well if it was because it was so cold and he's like been in the pram yes and yes. very very cold and it's only yes. his face that is ever out that makes sense and then that's um, not actually eczema so that isn't that whole eczema it's reaction. very kind of crusty and dry but it doesn't seem to be bothering him. yeah yeah no then it's not eczema because i think that probably sounds like the right solution yeah yeah Wow. So quite a challenge of a week. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, 12 weeks is not what I was <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, maybe that's because he had always been so calm. Exactly what you said right at the yeah. beginning, that because he has been so calm. Anyway, but Cass, lovely to chat again. And we'll chat again when Max is 13 weeks. Yeah. Um, I did happen to get a little cuddle with him this week. He and he is just absolutely dear. I mean, one of the things that he did, which just really excited me, was that he pulled his, he put his hands together and lay on my lap, just really engaging. And that's a state we call the calm alert state. And it's such a magic state because that's where they do all their learning. So he really is giving you all the joys and a couple of challenges along the he way. He is. No, and, and I know that all the challenges are actually because he's he's growing and he's changing. He's getting so much more engaged with the world and mm. things like that. So that they're, they're pleasant challenges because they, they're fun. They're exciting things are happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, enjoy his first Christmas. I know that this podcast will be going out after Christmas, yeah. uh, probably in February actually, but uh, enjoy his first Christmas. It's a very special time. Thanks Meg. 
Lovely to chat, Cass. Thanks you so too. much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.